Luke chapter number 6. We'll begin reading at verse number 47. Luke chapter number 6, verse number 47. Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you <coughs> to whom he is like. He is like a man which built a house and digged deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose and the streams beat vehemently upon the house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. I'm not going to take this passage the way that you normally take it, but we will come all the way back around at the end to examine this passage in a little bit greater detail. I have told you often that my grandparents on my mother's side had a great influence in myself and my siblings. We loved those grandparents dearly. In fact, it was their farm that we were on when we did the church camp out. That was my grandfather's farm. Uh, My brother Steve owns that property now. Uh, It was not unusual as kids when we moved back from South Carolina for us to stay for extended periods of time at our grandparents' house. Uh, Sometimes we would stay for days, sometimes we would stay for a week, sometimes even longer than that. Sometimes it would just be myself, and sometimes it would be several of us kids would stay at my grandparents'. Those days are so brilliant in my memory that they, even thinking about it 40 years, over 40 years now later, it still warms my heart those times that I spent on my grandfather's farm with my grandparents. Whenever it's time to leave, my grandparents would always walk us out to the car. They'd come out on the porch there, and right there, the car pulled right up to the, the, the side of the house. They would come out there, and the last thing that Grandpa would say was, come back when you can stay a long time. Now, we might have been there. You think about little kids around your house for 10 days. I'm not sure if he meant those words or not. (laughs) He took a lot of naps. I did notice that. I'm understanding that better every day myself. But anyway, he always said that. Come back when you can stay a long time. It was an open invitation to return. That made such an impression on me as a little kid that in my family, we have continued that. And so when the kids go off to college or back to their respective places, the last thing that I try to say to them is, come back when you can stay a long time. The passage that we just read is one of many passages where the Lord gives an open invitation to come to him, whosoever cometh to me. I want to examine that invitation that he gives a little closely this morning. The title this morning is An Invitation to Come. An Invitation to Come. Let's pray. 
Father, we are totally aware of our inabilities. We are totally aware of the, that truth cannot be communicated without your spirit. And we ask that your spirit would speak to our spirit and teach us from your word the truth that we need to know this morning. Father, there are so many different needs here. There are so many different situations and problems and, and life issues that there is no way that we could meet even one of them. But Father, you can meet all of them. You can speak to each heart individually, including my own, and I ask that you would do so. I ask that you would bring us into your presence, fill us with your spirit, and teach us truth. For we ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ who purchased this for us. Amen. If you're taking notes this morning, you are going to have a very busy pen. We have nine different points this morning. Now don't panic. We're not going to spend much time on each point, and so we should get out of here on time. Famous last words of a pastor. But let's get after it here this morning. Nine quick points. Number one, Christ bids you to come to him. Christ bids you to come to him. It would be impossible to cover all the invitation that Christ has given in the scripture for you to come. But let me give you a small sample. John 6.35 I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. John 7, 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Luke 18, 16. Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Point number one, Christ gives you an invitation to come. Point number two, the Holy Spirit is urging you to come. You have an invitation to come, Christ is giving it, and the Holy Spirit is urging you to come. Revelation 22, 17 says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is athirst, Come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. You know, man in his own foolishness and pride will not come to Jesus. His natural instincts run deep from his father Adam. Adam tried to hide from God when he had sinned, and those traits run deep in his genes. We are too foolish and too proud to come to the Lord. But because of the great love of God, he does not leave us to our natural inclinations. He has sent his spirit into our hearts, urging us, drawing us, convicting us, not to make your life a misery. Your life was already a misery. The Holy Spirit is working in our hearts to urge us to accept the invitation to come. I dare say that everyone in this room has experienced the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart, drawing you to the Savior. It is not your guilt. It is not your conscience. It is not your natural desire that you're, 
that's calling you this morning. It is God's Spirit, the Comforter, who is urging you to accept Christ's invitation today. The Holy Spirit is calling you, urging you to take the invitation this morning. Number three, true believers are urging you to come. Revelation 22, the verse I quoted, says, The Spirit and the Bride say come. You know, in our world, satisfied customers are an important thing. We like personal testimonials, do we not? In fact, we make a lot of our decisions based on personal testimonials. I was looking for a battery for my cordless drill. And so I was on, I think it was Amazon, and I read the reviews. And the first four reviews that I read said, this battery is junk. Guess what? I looked elsewhere. Because a personal testimonial gives us, that's, we, we weigh pretty heavy on these things. Whether someone would agree or someone would recommend the product or not. When we find something that everybody is raving about, we generally buy it based on their recommendations. Now, I'm not trying to cheapen the Lord's invitation by comparing it with modern marketing skills. But I think it's important that the bride says, come. If I were to give opportunity this morning, and we just went pew by pew, row by row, and gave God's people a chance to stand up and speak, the ones, every person, every true believer in Christ would say, come to Jesus. The ones who have known him the longest would urge you more strenuously than the ones who have not known him as long. They would say, if you are unsure of your eternity, come to Jesus. If you are tired of your sin, come. If you have a longing in your heart, come. If you are heavy laden, come. If your heart is overwhelmed, come. If you lack peace, come. If you do not know what to do, Come. If you're struggling in your mind, come. If you have any need at all, come. Come to Jesus. There is not one person who truly believes who ever regrets coming to the Lord. And there is not one person who ever truly came to the Lord who did not find their answers in Jesus Christ. This morning, all true Christians around the entire globe would rise up and say to you this morning, come, accept the invitation that Christ offers. The Spirit is, is urging you, and all believers in Christ would tell you, come, you will not regret it, come. Point number four, many have already come. Many have already come. When John the Baptist was preaching, he's an interesting character in the Bible. When he was preaching, people were flocking to hear him. They would go out into the wilderness to hear him preach. They would hear him preach and they would ask him very serious questions. And John, over time in his ministry, had a huge following of people. When the Lord starts his earthly ministry, John the Baptist baptizes him and witnesses that this is the very Christ. From that point, the people 
quit following John, and they started following the Lord Jesus. It was so noticeable that John's disciples, his really ardent followers, came to him, and they were in a panic. They said, Rabbi, the one that you bore witness of, all men follow him. Now, he wasn't talking about everybody on the planet was following, but he says, all the people who are coming, they're not coming here anymore. They're going over there. We've got to do something about this. And John the Baptist sets them straight and says, he's the important one. Many people followed Christ at that time. It has continued. How many millions around the globe over the course of 2,000 years have come to Christ? There are many who have come, but there is still room for you. One of the songs we sing around here, there is room at the cross for you. There is room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. There is room at the cross for you. You, will, you aren't going to be the first to accept the invitation, and it's a good chance you won't be the last. You won't be alone. Many have already come. Christ offers you the invitation to come. The Holy Spirit is urging you to come. The bride is saying, come. Many have already come. And number five, he will not turn you away. He will not turn you away. We used to take our stuff that we were done with to a thrift store that I will not mention. And every time we'd go there, the guy would come out. We have this carload of stuff. And he would want to sort through the stuff. And he would say, I'll take that, but I won't take that. And we'll take that, but we're not going to take that. The one thing he says, we're not taking that. I said, you're not taking that. I opened it up. I said, this is worth, this is before I was selling on eBay. I opened it up. I said, this is worth over $100. Oh, I guess we will take that. I got so sick of that that I went to another thrift store, and I just started donating to them because they took anything you had they would take. You have to understand, we, we, we understand the, the difficulty here, why they would do that, right? If you go by a thrift store, look in the back behind there. What's behind every thrift store? <laughs> Huge dumpsters. Why? Because they get a lot of junk dumped on them, and so they just throw it right away from there. And so we understand that. But many are afraid that if they will come to Christ, he'll take one look and say, sorry, I'm not taking you. You are not worth having. But my friend, that is not the Lord talking. That is the devil. For what the Lord says is, John 6, 37, he that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. My friend, if you come to the Lord today, he will not turn you away. Number six, come as you are. Come as you are. The guy at the thrift store only wanted to take valuable stuff. We understand that. They get stuck with a lot of junk, and so they want to be a little picky. We often allow that kind of knowledge to affect our coming to Christ. 
we figure that we are too bad or too worthless to come to him. And so we want to work at cleaning ourselves up and improving our value to convince him that he ought to take us. But this, my friend, is faulty thinking. The Lord did not give you an invitation to come because you were valuable. None of us are valuable. He issues the invitation to come because he loves you. He wants you to come just as you are. Think of it this way. If you had a little boy, and one day your little boy decided to run away from home, and so he slips out late at night and runs away from home, and he is gone all night. And he gets himself into trouble. He falls into a pile of garbage. He gets cut on a barbed wire fence. He falls in the mud. And here he is at the very, in the morning. He's been gone overnight. He's got mud, a hair full of mud. He smells of garbage. And he has got lacerations all over his arms. And he decides that he wants to come back home. What will your response to him be? Will it be, son, after you get a bath, then you can think about coming back home. Son, get that mud out of your hair and I'll consider taking you back. Son, you're bleeding and I don't want that on my carpet, so when you heal up, then let me know. What will your response be? No parent in their right mind would have any of those thoughts. What you'd say was, come on home, son. I'll do the cleaning. I'll get that out of your hair. I'll wash you up. I'll bandage your wounds. Son, just come home. This is what the Lord is doing. He's not asking you to clean yourself up. He's not asking you to make yourself presentable. He's saying, come and come just as you are. Is this not what the prodigal son did? When the prodigal son comes home, did his father say, hey, work until you can get the family ring back. Work until you have some, at least some presentable clothes. Don't be embarrassing us like that. You don't even have any shoes, son. What is his dad doing? The dad is looking a long ways off, and he sees his son come, and he runs down the road to get him. And he gets back home, and he says, put a ring on his finger, put that family ring back on his finger, get him some good clothes, get him some shoes. My son has come home. This is what the Lord is saying to you today. Come. Come as you are. He's not expecting you to clean yourself up and be presentable. He's asking you, he's inviting you to come home. Come as you are. Come with empty hands. The Rock of Ages, song we sing here, Rock of Ages, is in my hand, no price I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Just come as you are. Christ has given you an invitation. The Holy Spirit is urging you to come. God's people all around the, the world are saying, come. Come as you are. Come to Christ. Now we have three questions. I think we're on point number seven. My numbers might be off here, but I think we're on point number seven. 
These are three questions that I have to ask you. Christ invites you to come. And my question is, where else can you go? Where else can you go? It's a legitimate question. If you do not come to Jesus, just where will you go? Will you just continue wandering in this world like you have been? Now, maybe these kids up here in this front have not lived life long enough to know what I'm about to say, but everybody else has. All the rest of us are old enough to know that we live in a dark, dangerous place full of misery and heartache and trouble. It is not a place to be taken lightly. There are lots going on that is very difficult on this planet. Are you just going to continue on and hope for the best? All of us here already know what you're going to get from this place. We have already seen all that it has to offer. And when it's all boiled down, it doesn't offer anything that anybody wants. Where are you going to go? Are you just going to continue in this and hope that somehow after all this time something is going to change? Just continue muddling through hoping for a better day? If you don't know Jesus, where will you go? Will you seek your help in some form of escape? Will you seek help? Where will you go? Will you find it in the bottle or in drugs or the pleasures of this world? Is that really even a plan? Will you seek the help that you need in the wisdom of men, in knowledge or in therapy or in self-help groups? Have they ever helped at all? Will you seek your help in the religions of the world? Organizations made by men either to gather their gain wealth or the dominion of their followers. Will you follow their teaching trying to help you come to Jesus? My friends, this is faulty thinking. To join a religion to try to come to Jesus is faulty thinking. You say, what are you talking about? You're a church. You're a religion. That is what the government calls us. Okay, so we fit into their little box. That's what they call us. But there is not, we do not gather here to try to work together to come to Jesus. We gather here because we already came to Jesus. We made that decision and we gather every Sunday because we are followers of him. We do not try to work together to get to Jesus. What will you do in life? If you don't come to Christ, where are you going to go? Where are you going to find your help? The question is asked this morning. If you don't come to Christ, where else will you go? And I think there's two verses that are right on point here. John 14, 6 says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is no other place to go, my friend. In John 6, 68, 
in that passage of Scripture, many people have been following the Lord and things got a little rough. And they didn't like some of the things that he said, so they said, you know what, we're not going to follow him any longer. And the Lord looks at his disciples and asks them this question, are you going to leave too? Are you going to, you, everybody else looks, they've decided this is not for them and they're leaving. Are you going to leave too? And Simon Peter answers the Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. These are very good words for you this morning. If you're trying to decide, should I come or not, well, where else are you going to go? And Peter sums it all up, says, where are you going to go? Christ has the words of eternal life. If you don't come to Christ, just where are you going to go? Number eight, what will you gain by waiting? What will you gain by waiting? I'm not sure what's wrong with me, but when I am unsure about something, if I don't know exactly how it's going to go, I have a real tendency to put it off, to procrastinate, to put it for later. Is anybody with me on this? I, when I, if something unnerves me a little bit, I just don't know how it goes. For instance, this week, no, not this week. This is the week I dealt with it. I have had a pile of scrap metal of various kinds that need to go ba- needed to go back to the recycling place for a long time. But I don't do that very often. Haven't anybody been to the, scrap remo- the scrappers? Okay, there are a few of you have done this. I don't do it very often, and so I always feel a little uncomfortable because I don't know if what I've got is worth any. In fact, something I took back, the whole thing was worth 20 cents. <laughs> I should have just thrown that away. Uh, anyway, so anyway, I got all this stuff, and so for the last, I don't even know how many months, some of them I might even say years, but for sure at least a year on some of it, I have been pushing it around my garage. It's always in the, have you ever noticed that? You have one thing in your garage and it's always in the way no matter what you do. It's in the, you thought it was in the corner, but I just keep moving this stuff around. And I keep saying, I need to take this back. I loaded it twice and unloaded it twice at home because it was in the way when I loaded it. Anybody with me on this? Are you feeling my pain? So for the year, I have been climbing over this stuff, pushing it aside. And so Friday, it had to be done. And I could not think of one reason why I couldn't do it. (laughs) Believe me, I tried to think of one reason that would keep me from having to do this. And it had to be done, and so I did it. And when I did it, it wasn't that big of a deal. I mean, they walked me through the whole process, and... Then the guy, I, I thought, well, I'm just rid of it. At least I'm rid of it. And then the guy handed me $117, and I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and you know the thought that went through my mind at that moment? <laughs> yeah, that would be that. Yeah. <laughs> the other, that was one of the thoughts. What was the other thought? Why have I been tripping over this stuff for the last year? What did I gain by waiting? <laughs> yeah. Actually, the price of metal went down while I was waiting, just so you know. 
I don't want don't don't get me started on that particular part. Anyway, what did I gain? And the, the fact is, absolutely nothing. I made my own life difficult because I thought I better do this later. It'll just be I don't I don't feel comfortable. I don't know exactly how this works. There's a little I'll just do it later. Let me put it off. My friend, let me ask you this morning, what will you gain by putting off coming to Christ? What do you hope to gain from that? You know, the prodigal son, when he ran, ran out of money, he realized, man, I have made a mistake in leaving home. He should have went back home right then, right? What did he do? I'm going to put this thing off. And by the time he's all said and done, what did he gain? He came home smelling like pigs, doing things that he'd vowed he would never do, losing the family ring and his clothes and everything. He still came back home. But look at the mess that he created in the time. He could have come back at the very beginning and said, you know what, I made a mistake. But what did he gain? He gained absolutely nothing. I think it's always interesting when the Egyptians, when the children of Israel were in Egypt, and the plagues are on them, and the, the plague of frogs comes in, and Pharaoh calls Moses in. The frogs, I love the, the scripture, is very plain on that. The frogs were in the, their beds, in their bedrooms, in their ovens, and in their kneading troughs. Can you imagine you're making that bread and all, it pops a frog head? You're like, oh no. And you bake that bread and you slice it and it's jelly filled. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that gave you a picture for lunch, didn't it? Pharaoh calls Moses in and says, you've got to get rid of these frogs. And Moses says, okay, I'll get rid of the frogs. When do you want me to get rid of them? And Pharaoh's answer is enough to knock you down. He says, tomorrow. Like, how about right now, immediately? <laughs> Let's get this over with. One more night with the frogs. Just exactly what did they gain by that? What exactly, putting it off, did not help at all? What did they gain? Nothing. In Acts chapter number 24, we find Felix, a ruler who is very, he's under great conviction. He knows that he should come to Christ, but he says, Go thy way, for this time, when I have a convenient season, I will call thee. He says, Not now, later. Call, uh, when it's convenient for me to come to Christ, I'll come later. You know what we find? Later, as far as we can tell, never came. He put it off and lost it. The question is before you this morning, what will you gain by waiting? And number nine, what will you find if you come? Here's the point of the whole thing. What will you find if you come? Now, the full answer to what will you find in Christ if you come to him 
could not be answered in the five minutes or so that we have. It couldn't be answered in five days if we had it. It wouldn't be answered really in five months if we had the time. But the short answer to the question is, if you, what will you find if you come? The shorter answer is, in Christ, you will find everything that you need. John 6.35 says, He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. As I was thinking about this, my grandpa came back into my mind. There on the farm, he always called it the cistern. I could never figure out what that was. And every now and then, while we were staying there, he would get nervous about their water. And one time I was there, they had, they had a, let me know what a cistern is. As a kid, I did not know what a cistern is. It's basically just a tank in the ground. And they would have a guy come every month or so and pour water into this tank. And I guess when us kids were there, we probably were not as careful with the water as we probably should have. And so I'd see Grandpa getting a little nervous. They were going to run out of water. And the, he'd call, I'd hear him on the phone, and the water guy couldn't come right away because I don't remember where they were hauling the water from. And they were afraid, we've got to be a little careful in the water, or we're going to run out. And then one day, rural water came through. you never seen a happier guy than Grandpa when rural water came through. Why? I never heard him complain about water again. Why? He was hooked up to the source. Do you understand? And the water was never an issue again. You couldn't pour enough water into that cistern to keep you going. It always started running dry. But when he was hooked up to the rural water system, he had everything he could ever need on the farm. Christ is everything that you need. This is why he says, when you come to me, you'll never thirst again, because you'll be hooked up to the supply of all of your needs. Now, let's, in those last few moments we have, let's go back, look at our verses. Verse number 47 of Luke chapter number 6. Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. If you'll come to the Lord and listen to what he says and, and obey. He's like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid a foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose and the streams bent vehemently upon the house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. When a person will come to Christ and hear what he has to say and obey. He is like a man who is sitting with his house on a solid foundation. My friend, we live in a very shaky world. Have you not noticed that? We live on a very shaky world world. What do you get when you come to Christ? An unshakable life. That's what you get. An unshakable life. Will you not accept his invitation 
to come. Let's pray.